Hi guys, welcome to the church split. My name is Will and you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, challenge that status quo that so often needs challenging, and of course promote unity and diversity of thought. So today we have a special guest on, but before we get to our special guest, I want to remind you to of course like and subscribe, or if you hate us, don't, or if you want to help uh, the enemies of the channel, go ahead and subscribe to someone like Canaan Radio. I'm sure they'd be happy for the extra numbers. But anyway, um, so guys, I, I I do have a special guest with us and I have David Palman on and David Palman a while ago did a, a class for us as we are trying to build our playlist for unity and diversity on a bunch of different topics within the fundamentalism of the faith. And David came on and he talked about reformed Arminianism and it was great. And a lot of people, I got a lot of positive feedback actually from that episode. But what a lot of people don't know, it says we're part of the RFP network and you can check it out at rfpnetwork.org is that David Paulman and all the theology groups, many people know him and he does affirm the virgin birth or does he not? I don't know. We'll, it'll remain a mystery. That is a, an inside joke, by the way, people who aren't caught up. Anyway, so <laughs> the thing is with David is that uh, he is, um, he's actually a strong student of philosophy and the word of God. But one of the best parts about David uh, is that him and I come from similar backgrounds. We are both raised in the IFB and the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. So with no further ado, I want to have David Palman on, and I'm going to have him on for two episodes. One is going to be telling about his personal story, and two, we're going to be talking about one of his pet topics, which is epistemology. So with all that being said, David, how's it going? Going great, Will. Thanks for having me on. No problem. And sorry about the sorry about the virgin birth dig. That was just for all the people who might know who you are and, <laughs> uh, and know about the joke that goes on in all the little circles. Um, so anyhow, David, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to have this conversation with you, uh, especially because many people probably just know you as the as the actually guy uh, in all the theology groups uh, and the guy with very strong opinions and I personally enjoy that because I too am a one with strong opinions. So with that being said, uh, David, would you mind telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yes, sure. Uh, and yes, uh, as you pointed out, I have strong opinions. So that may may come out in <laughs> our discussion, but that's all right. I, I don't mind engaging with people who um, have other opinions as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, so Let's see. I mean, I run the YouTube channel Faith Because of Reason. Uh, I am a member of the Society of Evangelical Arminians. I periodically write articles for Free Thinking Ministries with uh, Tim Stratton, who I believe you've had on here. And uh, yeah, I'm just overall a theology and philosophy nerd. Uh, and I'm a student at Trinity uh, Theological Seminary as well. I actually did not know you wrote for uh, Free Thinking Ministries. I'm a little jealous, but that's okay. <laughs> Tim Stratton is the man. No, we've definitely had him on here. Uh, I, he checks too many boxes. My wife says all the time that I have a crush on on, on uh, Tim Stratton. Just I'm like, no, it's just you can't be that cool. You can't do MMA, be a weightlifter and a bodybuilder, a doctorate in theology, and then also be like, oh, by the way, I'm also an apologist and I love comic book nerdy stuff. You just can't do it. It's not fair. <laughs> you got to save some room for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he can't look cool like he does too I mean. exactly it's not okay we're but we will not 
had this conversation. He will never see this, hopefully. Maybe. We'll see. If not, Tim Stratton, you're the man. But anyway, uh, so David, you uh, you do run Faith Because of Reason. And for those of you who have not checked it out, you definitely need to check out the channel Faith Because of Reason. It is a great philosophy channel. David Pullman is not what I would call a content machine. He's not ushering out two videos every single week. What he does is he puts together a well-sourced and a well-thought-out presentation of various philosophical positions. And it is extremely educational and it is by far very high quality. So um, with that plug in there, David, uh, you grew up in the IFB. You grew up in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. And so, and you are no longer associated with independent fundamental Baptists. So with that being said, what, what did that background look like for you? Yeah. So my dad is a pastor in the independent fundamental baptist ifb uh first generation so this isn't like something that goes way back in my family uh, my family goes way back to germany so there's a lot of strong lutheran background there my uh grandfather <clears throat> was a lutheran uh he was saved so he uh but and so i believe he left lutheranism uh i think he became some sort of baptist not independent fundamental baptist uh, but my dad was influenced by the independent fundamentalist Baptists, and so he kind of gravitated more towards that sort of fundamentalism. Uh, my mom did as well. They met in an IFB church, uh, you know, and then my dad went off to a uh, IFB school, and he was a pastor, and so that's kind of what, that's the situation I was born into. Uh, this wasn't like the super strict super fundamentalist um strain of the ifb so uh, my parents are more reasonable than a lot of people that you'll meet in that movement which is something i appreciate um but still you know we were pretty we were pretty strict right so like my you know mom and sisters all had to all had to wear skirts that was that was definitely a thing uh there was definitely no movie theaters no dancing no um you know uh, no no listening to music that uh, like was written after 1930 i mean it, <laughs> unless it was southern <laughs> baptist so uh you know uh so i was very much kind of in that culture and i was really pretty sheltered i didn't really realize that i was until much later but i was i was very sheltered and uh i mean part of that was just like i was homeschooled right so i uh, just <laughs> through kin from kindergarten through 12th grade uh and pretty much the extent of my social life was just um church and close family and like that was it like i couldn't have a friend who didn't go to church uh unless like maybe maybe it was a neighbor i guess I, I was allowed to have friends with some of the neighbors but um yeah pretty much that uh was kind of the that was the world i was in uh, and I will say I, I liked it at the time. Like I I'm a reluctant rebel. I wasn't the guy who just like wanted to burst out of it. Um, I really liked being part of what I felt was this kind of elite special group of Christians. Uh, I kind of had the inside scoop on what the Bible was really teaching. Uh, I felt very secure in that. Uh, and maybe, maybe part of it was just that um, I kind of enjoyed being able to like look you know down on people and just kind of be like you know well, well i've got it figured out you know come come to me for the answers um because just that's kind of like i was it was just so pounded into me like week after week that like we are right and that was the big thing and like everything everything was from that perspective and i don't know how many other people in the uh ifb will recognize this sort of language but everything we heard was like oh well you don't want to read that author because he doesn't he doesn't agree with us you know um oh that church they're not like 
us. So like us, independent fundamental Baptists, that was like the reference point. And so if it's not like us or it's too different from us, then it's wrong. And so, I mean, I was on board with that hook, line and sinker. Uh, nothing in me wanted to leave that. Uh, and so really in a lot of ways, I got dragged out kicking and screaming. And I, I really fought as hard as I could to stay in for as long as I could. That's really funny because that's similar with me. The, I was like not in a super sheltered home. My home had other, other things going on. But I was sheltered, but not as strict as other places. And then some things kind of unraveled in my in my systems of belief. And it wasn't because I wanted it to. It was just the questions came and I was like, okay, well, I can easily debunk that. And then as I picked at it, it fell apart. Uh, one of the first ones for me was alcohol. Um, and a friend of mine busted out a I went to his grandparents' house for Thanksgiving. His grandpa was a pastor of Anandanam in town. And his pastor busted out some wine and was pouring wine. And I'm all like this IFB boy going, oh, what? You can't have wine. What are you doing? And uh, then they were like, oh, the Bible says that, uh, you know, you just can't be drunk. And I was like, that's garbage. I've read Proverbs. And <laughs> so then I was bound to determine to prove my friend wrong. And as I went through and kept trying to dig and dig and dig and dig, I kept coming up very, very, very short, not including the fact that I had to keep redefining the word wine. <laughs> so uh, that was that was what my uh, my first major unraveling experience that I still kind of like faked that I, I held a, a, an against view for a while, but I just, yeah, that really messed me up. So anyway, so you're raised in the IFB and you went through all that. So what, what kind of IFB, what, what brand of it? Cause as much as it is kind of one, even though they say they're independent, they are a movement and they are kind of a denomination, but there's just different flavors of that independent denomination. So uh, what, so what kind of background did you have in that? Yeah, so uh, people might know my uh, kind of the big school for my uh, group of it was Heartland Baptist Bible College. So that was very much the kind of wing of it, I guess, if you want to say that I was in. Uh, it wasn't really until later that I discovered that there were kind of other strands of it as well that were like they were considered okay but not as good right like if you go to like crown college or something like you know well that, that that's okay but that's not as good as heartland you know so um that's uh, kind of i think kind of sam davison would be like the the big name that uh kind of headed up a lot of the preacher boys who would become the leaders in the particular wing of it that i was in Gotcha. Okay. So Heartland, that's interesting. Um, actually, that was one of the ones that I would hear like spoken of either poorly or highly. I never, <laughs> I, I, I could never get like a middle of the ground response whenever in my little circles, but uh, I came from more of like the high church IFB, which is like what the crown and the Bob Jones are. It's just that very, it's way more hoity-toity. And uh, the other ones are more the shout in tent meeting types. And I had my fair share of that time too, because those lines blur from time to time. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, so, all right, you were in the IFB and when did you start kind of going, huh, this isn't adding up? Yeah, so that began for me, uh, it, was, it was actually really a slow process, the whole like coming out of it, it took about probably about four years, honestly, from the time where I began questioning things to the point where I actually left. But it began with this 
pretty severe faith crisis I had when I was uh, about 18 years old. Uh, and so I just kind of began when uh, a friend of mine pointed out kind of some, some of like the basic apparent contradictions in the Bible, right? And kind of that's like when like my just my whole reality, everything that I had believed or thought before then just kind of like began to like not feel as secure, right? And so uh, they were like, would bring up like the, the different genealogies, right? In Luke and Matthew for, for Jesus. And uh, just, you know, things like that uh, kind of just started making me kind of question the Bible. And even though like eventually I could find answers to those sorts of things, other questions started coming kind of once the floodgates, you know, were opened or, or once some, you know, some uh, doubt would come in, then it's just like everything started pouring on. And uh, so I would start questioning like, well, maybe there aren't contradictions in the Bible, but then kind of why do I believe it in the first place, right? Because I'm um, even if there's not a, a flat contradiction in it, that still doesn't mean that it's true, right? And so I had to start having a lot of questions about that, questions about does, does God exist? That was a, a question that I struggled with for a while. And uh, this was like really a tough time for me uh, emotionally. Like I was pretty constantly depressed in this uh, period. Uh, and Cause I just kind of felt like I was having like my childhood faith where I felt so secure. It was kind of being ripped away from me and um, unfortunately, the people in the IFB weren't really giving me the best answers, right? It was like, well, you need to have more faith, right? So I wasn't, I wasn't getting answers that I, um, you know, felt that were satisfying me uh, from anybody in the movement at all. And I really, I even became suicidal at this point was like how depressed I was getting with these kinds of questions. Wow. So, yeah, fortunately, um, Fortunately, even though I was not satisfied with the answers I was getting in the IFB, I turned to other resources. So I was introduced to this thing called Christian apologetics. And so I started uh, like reading guys like William Lane Craig and Lee Strobel and Norman Geisler, C.S. Lewis, right? And I found out that Christianity was kind of a lot bigger than what I had been you know, raised with, you know? And so I knew that there were, because this is one thing about the IFB is, at least in my circles, is there was this sharp distinction drawn between kind of the independent fundamental Baptists, right? They are the, we're, we're the extreme right, we're the conservatives, and everyone else is an extreme liberal on the left, right? <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know that there was in a complete spectrum between those two extremes, and it was actually quite a big spectrum and like everything, every kind of evangelical is in there. You know, you had even independent fundamental Baptists who weren't as extreme as us. You had liberals who were a little more conservative than some other liberals. And so just kind of being aware of the spectrum that was there was, um, I was like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't know about this. Um, it was like, I uh, just, you know, maybe to give one example would be like kind of on the evolution issue. It was like, Either you are a, you know, literal six day young earth creationist, the earth is only 6,000 years old, or you're an atheist who believes in evolution. And like, <laughs> I was barely made aware that you have um, like everything in between those positions. You have Christians who believe in evolution. You have Christians who believe not in evolution, but that the earth is actually quite old. You have, uh, you know, just, and within that, you've got a whole bunch of different ways of, you know, reading Genesis in there. And like this spectrum was completely, it just wasn't there in the church. It was, it was always 
the extreme us versus the extreme them and everything in between is just ignored and so as i'm reading you know and starting to learn these things um you know that was something that was sort of like okay well i know i'm not you know way over there on the the, the like way out in left field right i'm not gonna you know, just to upset some people. I'm not going to deny the virgin birth, right? But, um, <laughs> and I'm not going to believe in evolution, but, you know, what about people who, you know, they, they don't believe in evolution, but they think the earth is old. Do I really have good reasons for thinking that the earth is young, right? Because I'm kind of starting to learn that these are not the only two options because I've pretty much only been presented with like, there's our position and there's this other position and this is why we're right. And so I'm starting to learn that there are all these positions that are a lot closer to what I believe. And in fact, that even like good Christian people, you know, these that seem to me, you know, very intelligent Christians that I'm reading, they believe these things. And so, um, you know, and these guys are a lot smarter than me and they're certainly a lot smarter than my pastor and all these other pastors. And so, you know, maybe they're right. At least I should consider that, right? And so uh, kind of that was what started getting me thinking that direction at any rate. Um, probably the first issue for me really was this issue of creationism because I, uh, it just, it became apparent to me that the Bible really was not trying to put an age on the earth, right? Because I, you know, I would talk to people like, so, like, why, why do we think that the earth is only six thousand years old? Well, if you add up all these genealogies, then you know, I'm thinking. So, kind of, I was like, I was like, okay, you know, I bought that argument, but the Bible's not really teaching that. Like the the uh, like the authors of these, they aren't including these genealogies so that you can add up the ages and figure out how old the earth is. If they cared about how old the earth is, like they just would have told you that. <laughs> That's true. And so, you know, even if you could infer an age from the earth out of what the Bible is teaching, you know, maybe you could. I thought you could for a while. Uh, that wasn't what it was teaching. So it just became something that became waning in its importance to me. And this is kind of what becomes important. I was still very much a young earth creationist at this time because I thought, well, even if, you know, the Bible doesn't definitively prove it or it's not important in the Bible, we can show it through science. So I was still a young earth creationist. Uh, I was so ignorant of the scientific evidence back then. But anyway, uh, I stopped seeing it as being a big deal. And this is kind of where, um, if you want to say a huh moment came, this is probably where it was, is that uh, when I stopped seeing people who thought the earth was old as like, I stopped seeing them as like enemies, as heinous sinners who were like just in denial of the clear teaching of the word of God, because it didn't seem all that clear to me that the Bible was teaching that the earth was young. Uh, I thought it was, but I couldn't say that the Bible was like definitely teaching this. Like these genealogies don't have to be complete. And even if they are, I mean, there's nothing in Genesis that would preclude you from saying there was a long time before humans were created. So I mean, I saw that there was some room there. And so I said, like, okay, well, someone could reasonably think the earth is old. And when I started saying things like that, then people in my church were like, that was, uh, that was like, that was a bad thing to them. Like that meant like, oh, well, that means, you know, that means you're, you're going liberal, right? It's a slippery slope. Once you give up one thing, everything goes. And uh, so what became evident here is that it just, it wasn't even what I believed, right? They didn't care that I agreed with them about young earth creationism. It's that it wasn't a paramount issue to me like it was to them. And that's when I began to see, it's not just about the beliefs, it's about holding the beliefs 
and holding them kind of in the same order of importance that we do. There's no room for this more important beliefs like the deity of Christ and uh, the inspiration and inerrancy of scripture, the Trinity, that doesn't matter. Uh, you've got to have that. And you got to have young earth creationism up there. You got to have King James onlyism up there. It's all like, it's an all or nothing thing. And so when I started getting a structure to my theology and started having more important beliefs and you know issues that I was willing to give a little on, that is really when I began to see that um, you know, something is like these people, they're not thinking about this the same way as me. So that's, if you want to call it the huh moment, that was probably when it uh, kicked in. That's funny. Yeah. And I've noticed that too. And what's funny is that many IFB, um, they don't like Tolkien so much because Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings is a little less obvious in its parallels as like Chronicles of Narnia. But when it comes to like someone like C.S. Lewis, a lot of people don't seem to realize that C.S. Lewis was not a young earth creationist. Yeah. Uh, he actually believed in an old earth. And it's just really funny because they were- Arguably they, in evolution. Exactly. And, but they recommend the screw tape letters. And I just find it, I always found it really ironic in my, my little circle because the same thing happened to me when I was going through I'm like, wait, I don't think it's trying to teach us the age of the dirt. I think it's just telling us the age of the person. That's not the same. <laughs> uh, yes. So it, those weird aha moments. So that's funny. And you're right, because if you didn't hold it with as much intensity as, as they did, for example, I uh, my, one, my second one was King James only isn't that I eventually fell apart. Um, and that was when I was like, well, isn't it at least and I just, I just remember asking this. And I was at Fairhaven at the time. And I said, well, wasn't it possible? I mean, if the Texas Receptus is what the King James, what created the King James, is it possible to go back to the same Texas Receptus and just retranslate it with modern lingo? And then you would have think I said that Jesus Christ and Satan were one and the same. I mean, they just lost their minds for me even suggesting such a terrible idea. You know, I'm questioning, I'm questioning the word of God. I'm questioning, you know, there, you know, again, liberal slippery slope, the whole nine. And it's very fear. It was very fear tactics, yes. right? Like mm -hmm. you're, you think about what you're doing. Think of the children. And <laughs> it was all very <laughs> doom and gloom. And it just, I don't know, it really bothered me. And I, I guess some of those things. So I, it's funny that you're saying that because that's, I related to that. So um, now I, so when you got out, yeah. And then you, you actually went to Heartland, didn't you? I did. How long were you there? I, I lasted two years. Yeah. You lasted um, two years. Did you get kicked out? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell the story of that if, if you want to hear it. Oh, this is kind of relevant to how. <laughs> Why not? Then we can talk about more of the uh, little issues because you said you have a list of issues and stuff. Well, yeah, because a, a, lo a lot of it happened while I was there. So I'll just kind of kind of put it. OK, just go to your thing. Order here. <clears throat> yeah. OK, so uh, I went Before off there to Heartland and um, while I was there, I met uh, Joseph Wu in, and he would end up being kind of like my, uh, just like a good friend, right? He was like, like if I was David, he was Jonathan, right? Uh, in fact, some people even called us that because like we were just like we always we always stuck together, and the reason for that was that we thought about these issues in somewhat the same way that we both had deviant opinions, so we were both the bad kids, right? No one else really wanted to be friends with us because it was just known that we were a little different and but I liked hanging around Joseph because he made me look good because he had like opinions that were way like he believed in annihilationism right he, he thought that like hell was 
some point of like people just completely went away. He was a Calvinist. I mean, so this stuff, this made me look good because I looked so much more like the IFB than him. So being friends with him was actually, uh, it was probably partially selfish on my part. So sorry, Joseph, if you see this, I, I had partially selfish motives in befriending you. But um, yeah, so uh, him and I became friends. And one thing I liked about him is that he, uh, even though we had a lot of differences, like I was really leaning Arminian at this time. He was leaning Calvinist. He, was, he wasn't really a Calvinist, but he was like listening to James White and stuff and was like, he was leaning that direction. And so we would just like, we would bash heads over these issues, right? Because we both cared about them. And we thought about these in the same way. Like we didn't care what the professors were telling us. We were interested in like, what's the evidence? What's the Bible actually teaching? And we would just go back and forth on these issues. And uh, and he, he got over his Calvinism, by the way. So um, <laughs> I, yes. I ended up agreeing. I ended up agreeing with him on annihilationism. So, you know, we both um, uh, kind of, you know, influence each other oh how the turntables <laughs> yes but um you know one one thing that we like i think that we the one reason we connected is that we just we both took our um our faith seriously like we weren't interested in you know carrying the card of the ifb we were interested in you know what's the truth and so that was another thing i think that we connected over like initially it was over that we were the bad kids yes but we were the bad kids for a reason and that we weren't just gonna follow what people told us and so that um, was kind of, so anyway, that, that, that was uh, kind of one of the, probably, probably one of the most important things that happened while I was there. <clears throat> so my issues with the King James, yes, that was the next thing that um, went for me. Uh, because I was, you know, I was interested in apologetics and I was interested kind of in this question of, uh, you know, is the Bible reliable? Like, this was kind of an interesting thing, right? Because like I, I mentioned before that like when I, my faith like, when I, when it was shaken, right, when I kind of lost my faith, as it were, but not completely, like I hadn't apostatized, but I was just like, so doubting was Christianity true, um, that, you know, when I started to rebuild it, when it came back, I say it, it looked a little different than what I had, you know, than the Christianity I'd been taught. Uh, and that's kind of probably what happens when you start thinking for yourself is that it's probably, you know, if your theology looks exactly like the theology you've been taught, it probably means someone else is doing the thinking for you. Um, obviously, that's, you know, you, you, you might, you might, it's possible, but in general, you're probably going to reach some of your own opinions on things. And that's not a bad thing, because again, we can just, um, we, we can allow for some differences on these areas. But yeah, with the King James issue, I was, it was this question of like, you know, well, is the Bible that we have now, you know, is that the same as uh, the Bible that originally came to us? And so I started looking into like textual criticism, right? And I'm reading guys like Bart Ehrman and Dan Wallace and stuff. And uh, both of those guys, while they might really differ on the text of the New Testament, <laughs> they're agreed on one thing. King James onlyism is um, <laughs> is silly, and so you know I, I also found out why right because the story wasn't what I'd been told. It wasn't that my King James Bible was just exactly like this majority text, and like this is what most of the manuscripts say, right? And also, if you want to deny it, right, you're gonna you're gonna deny the Trinity because the King James it's First John five seven, right? So one thing that was huge for me is when I discovered that First John five seven is not in the majority text. Um, and that was like, I was like, okay, hang on. Cause you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you're gonna say, we're going with the majority of manuscripts, we're going with what the majority text says, 
But then you also want to say, oh, and people who disagree with the King James, they just wanted an excuse to deny the Trinity. I'm like, you can't have both of those arguments. Because if you have the majority text, you don't get 1 John 5, 7. You want 1 John 5, 7, you don't get the majority text. Um, and so kind of what it came down to is that they were really just starting with this presupposition that, oh, the King James, it's perfect. So anything that, you know, supports it, well, you know, anything that's reflected in a manuscript there, that accurately re reflects the original. But wherever something departs from the King James, well, that a manuscript's just not, it's just not accurate there. And so what they'd really done is they weren't basing this on any kind of evidence. Like I had been told, I was told, you know, we're just going with the majority of manuscripts, right? Oh, well, that makes sense. Only you're not. And so this was really scandalous to me because I kind of felt lied to in some ways. Uh, well, after, after, because um, first I was just, I just thought my professors and stuff, oh, well, surely they're, they're not, they, they just don't know this stuff, right? I, I was incredibly naive at the time, if this isn't obvious, I thought they just don't know this. And surely they're gonna be as interested in these facts that I'm discovering as I am. And so I would go to my professors and I was like, oh, look at the textual evidence. And kind of to my shock is this was not news to them. They were very well aware that this, that, that you know, first John 5, 7 wasn't in the majority text. And yet they would continue from the pulpits and in the classrooms to, to say this, and I would hear them say this after I had like approached them about this. And so I was kind of starting to find out that um, it, it was kind of hard because like these are the people like, I believe you can trust pastors, right? You can trust evangelists. These are the people I was supposed to be able to trust. And I'm hearing them effectively. Like, I, I don't know how you can, that cannot be lying. Like, or minimally it's presenting, minimally it's presenting like, half-truths and like partial truths in such a way that's like constructed to just uh push an agenda forward and that was that like really really bothered me like I felt lied to at that point when I was like being told that like from the pulpit what you're telling people from the pulpit all right is that you the reason that we should believe the King James is because it matches the majority of manuscripts and you're not going to tell them that first John 5, 7, that one's not even in those majority of manuscripts that you're getting the rest of your Bible from. Uh, and I mean, again, this is just one example. I was discovering a lot of things like this. Uh, that was um, really a big red flag. And so like, I had to let go of the, the King James only issue because I mean, there was just it wasn't what they were telling me it was. And I understand, I learned later that there, you know, there are different types of King James onlyism, but you've got like Ruckmanism and stuff. But this was, this was the sort that I was in that, that said that, oh, well, we're just following the majority text. That's a lie. They were not. So um, that was, you know, that was a big thing for me right there. I don't know if you want to come in with kind of, because I know the King James issue is a big one for you as well. I mean, it's not like I have a whole series on it and I just keep poking that bear i'll be honest i enjoy poking the bear because it the, the evidence is stacked <laughs> against it and i just love seeing the meltdowns happen and but it's also great because it's so many people it, it allows them to get it when the king james only issue falls apart for so many because it's such a chief issue in the ifb it almost gives them permission to start looking to other issues mm. um so that's why i've devoted so much time to king james only ism I have nothing against the King James. I as still is written very poetically, is beautifully written. It's just, it's a translation of a particular compilation of a particular group of texts. That's what it is. And so, yeah, uh, to that point, I felt the same way. 
because again, I think when you're young and you're on fire for God and you're like, oh yeah, I'm doing all the things, ministry and all the stuff, you think you're, you're naive because you think that these professors are probably just as genuine as you are. And I'll be cynical here. Many of them are doing it purely for self-preservation. Like it's because, well, I know that this is false, but my career is dependent on this. So I'm going to keep teaching it. And you know, what happens is that they end up sacrificing the questioners on the altar of their self-preservation. And I, I know that sounds really harsh, but it is what it is. Uh, because what ends up happening is a lot of people, once they find that something's false, they end up questioning all of Christianity because they have no idea about Christian apologetics. Because the IFB, it does not do apologetics because apologetics it encourages critical thinking and, and a diversity of thought. You can't allow apologetics in the IFB if it's all gotta be singularly thought. It's very much a hive mind in that sense. So, uh, so a lot of times people, I, I know plenty of people who were from the IFB who are now like, like outspoken atheists. Uh, it's just because once they started questioning and they realized that somebody like you were saying was straight up lying at, at, you know, at worst, they just started questioning everything and they had no answers to any of the questions. So they just fell off the, fell off the grid entirely. So anyway, just when you're saying that there, it's just like, yep, totally understand that. Cause I remember I was, I was, I was deeply impassioned and had problems with that too. Felt very lied to. And then people to this day will tell me that I have too much bitterness. It's not really bitterness. It's just falsehood is falsehood. And the more we can break people out of the cult thinking and the indoctrination of that, the better Christianity is going to be. So anyway, not to steal your thunder and go on in my own tangent, but, uh, uh, anyway, so go ahead and continue. So you, King James onlyism is what broke there. So uh, what what's sort of kind of flowing from this? Well, and so one other thing that's kind of interesting on that point was that I was also discovering my professors, they didn't agree with each other on a lot of these things. Like, cause I would have, I would set up meetings with them, right? Cause I was, I mean, that's, they, they seemed like the smartest people around, right? And everyone told me like, oh, you're having doubts and questions. You gotta talk to like, you gotta talk to brother this guy. You gotta talk to brother this guy. Um, and some of them like called themselves doctors, which I found it was like, that's, you probably shouldn't call yourself a doctor if you, you know, got your PhD from uh, certain institutions. But anyway, um, some of them had no problem calling themselves doctors. Honorary at best too. Like, oh, an honorary doctorate from a place with a hundred students. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, but they, with that, that's a whole nother issue is the, the phony credential. Cause like on one hand they'll bash credentials, right? Like I, we don't care about credentials, but then like they'll, try to make up phony ones which so i'm not going to go off on that so anyway but no it was kind of describing they disagreed with each other right because i would have some professors tell me like when i talk about like the last the last 12 verses of mark for example um some of my professors were very adamant oh yeah that was in the original gospel of mark but one of my professors who is one actually he's one who i continue to have some respect for he said that um he told me I don't think that the last 12 verses of Mark were in the original, um, you know, when Mark wrote it, they, they weren't there, but God wanted them to be in there. So he saw that they got in there later. I'm like, so he forgot to get them in there the first time. I mean, that just seems like, so like, like the, 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 uh, I don't know. It's like, he was so much, he was just wanted, like, he had to push the narrative. It's like you said, his career depended on this. He wanted to be honest with the evidence, but on the other hand, he knew he couldn't just say that, that these weren't there. So we had to cook up this other story about how, oh, God wanted it in there. So we got it in there later. 
Ah, uh, I mean, I mean, and like he did, like, was God trying to confuse us? So like knowing that we would find manuscripts of Mark without it in there, but we find other ones in there. And somehow we were just supposed to know that like these ones were the ones he wanted us to use. It was all <laughs> Satan's deception, remember? Because whenever there was a variation, it was a Satan perverting the text. What that's that's what the excuse was. Like, so wait, what disagrees with the King James is Satan corrupting the word of God. Yes. So Satan has the ability to completely overtake God's ability to preserve his word. That's what you're saying. Satan is stronger than God. Just consider what you're saying there. Just just take a minute. <laughs> so yeah. It was funny, like Joseph, Joseph pointed out and like, to, we, we were arguing with one of the other students about this once, uh, and he was like, oh, well, these, all these older texts, you can't trust them because, you know, they, they're corrupted, right? And um, Joseph, I think he'd been reading Bart Ehrman as well, and he said um, to this other student, he said, if what you're saying is right, the atheists would love that. He said, if what you are saying is correct, that all of our oldest, most reliable manuscripts are not actually reliable. Like all our earliest manuscripts were corrupted. That destroys the textual basis of the Bible. The atheists would have a heyday on that. They can't do that because again, we do have these older manuscripts. But, so like, it was kind of like, this was a big realization. Like if I'm gonna continue to hold up King James onlyism, I'm not gonna have any justification for believing in the textual reliability of the Bible. The other hand, if I wanna believe in the textual reliability of the Bible, I can't be a King James onlyist. So that was a big one there. I'm sorry, I didn't want to harp on that, but just there was so much. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I think our listeners need it. So it's okay. Keep going. Do what you other want. Topics. The floor uh, is yours. <laughs> okay. So I'll, go, I'll try to go through some of these other ones quicker, though. Um, there was a topic of hell. Um, Joseph really was like working on me on that one, right? Because like I would be like, oh, oh, and by the way, I'm sure a lot of the listeners believe that hell is eternal conscious torment. And, you know, that's fine. I'm not here to change your mind on that issue per se i'm just kind of giving my own story here but like on the issue of hell joseph uh you know he would like give me some arguments right like out of hebrews it talks about uh describing hell as the the fire that consumes the adversaries of god and i'd be like well what does the word consumes really mean there right maybe it's just talking about them being enshrouded in flames and like i'll look it up and the word translates literally to eat i was like oh um and uh, so, you know, I would, of course, I would give him texts uh, as well, right? Uh, like, uh, well, you know, they're, they're uh, tormented day and night forever and ever, right? And he's like, yeah, but that's actually talking about the devil and the false prophet. And that's all you can get out of there. I was like, oh. So I was funny that there was a lot more depth to these issues and that it wasn't like, because this was, this, was, this was a funny thing too. I had been told every annihilationist, it's just emotion, right? They just can't accept the sound teaching of the word of God that hell is this, you know, eternal place where people are basically tortured um, with no end. And uh, the funny thing is that wasn't Joseph at all, right? Like he was okay with accepting Calvinism if that's what the Bible taught. Like he didn't care about emotional arguments. In fact, I cared about emotional arguments a lot more than he did. Uh, and just like he was concerned with exegesis and he was giving me like biblical arguments to believe in annihilation and then giving like answers to biblical texts that I just thought, oh, well, these definitively show that, you know, hell has to be, you know, eternal torment. And so, um, of course, listeners can reach whatever conclusion they want on that. I was saying, so, you know, that was a belief I gave up. Uh, oh, this ridiculous idea of Baptist church perpetuity. 
um, I had a class on that, right? And this was actually something like I was, I hadn't really looked into church history at all. I just kind of had accepted, oh yeah, independent fundamental Baptist churches have like this lineage stretching back to Jesus Christ himself. And he founded the first one and they all, you know, stretch uh, out in um, whatever. So I, I had this class on that. And the professor says the first day of the class, well, you know, we can't actually, you know, go through history and, you know, make a line back to Jesus Christ himself, but we can find evidence that there are people who believe just like us in every age of history. And this was the same professor, by the way, who had, um, you know, I found out that he knew some things about King James onlyism that he wasn't sharing with the class. And I was like, I wonder what he's not sharing with me in this case. So um, they had a school library there, right? That had all the IFB books in it that you could want. So you could go there to do your research. I made the professor so mad because I did not use the resources in the school library. Instead, I went and found out what the actual scholars have to say about this. And I hadn't studied the issue before, so I didn't have like a, a pre-decided conclusion. Uh, and I just found it, it was such a farce, like these groups that they're saying they believe just like us, like the, the pollutions, that was a huge one for them. We don't, we know almost nothing about them. They probably weren't Trinitarians, but we certainly don't know enough about them to say they believed just like us. It's, it's a lie to say that. Okay, if you say they believe just like us, oh, well, we don't really know. And like, there's always charges of heresy, right? But they always come from the Catholics. So the, the response there was always, well, it's the Catholics saying that you can't trust what they say. Um, I'm like, okay, but that's the only sources we have about these people. If you're gonna reject this source, then you cannot claim to know things about, you can't claim to know what they believe just like you if you're rejecting the only source of information you have about these people. The monetists, they spoke in tongues apparently. That was a big no-no in the IFB. We don't speak in tongues. We're not part of the charismatic movement. Well, the monetists were like ancient Pentecostals. So you can't claim these as people who believe just like you when they're denying the deity of Christ and they are speaking in tongues. So just like every claim I would examine, it just fell through. And the other thing is my teacher knew this because I confronted him about it too. He knew that there were charges that the monetists were speaking in tongues. Now he would say, oh, I reject that because it comes from the Catholics. But then again, you face the problem, then you don't know anything about them. You're rejecting your only source of information. So yeah, Baptist church perpetuity, that was silly. The idea that you can only, um, you know, the, the baptism, the church has this authority to baptize and that like you have to be baptized in a Baptist church. Arguments for that fell through when I did the research there. Uh, let's see, music. Oh, yes. I really liked actually when I had, we had a whole class on contemporary Christian music and why it was awful. And I said, I liked my professor in that class because he was much better read. He wasn't just a loud preachy guy like a lot of my professors were. He was a much, you know, better thought out guy. I know I would have conversations with him like after class. So we'd go for a while sometimes. And, uh, you know, we talk about it and his arguments were just like so weak, you know? And uh, he was like, his arguments are like, well, the Bible talks about music. So that must mean it's important to God. I'm like, well, the Bible also talks about colors, but like, it's not like there's certain colors you can wear and you can't just because the Bible talks about it. Uh, and so like, in some ways he was more honest about it. Like the Bible's not as clear on these issues, but like, these are just good standards to have. 
so you know on that issue that was another one that just fell through the position on um on like music standards which is completely baseless um this issue of you know eschatology is i i started like seeing all these statements in the bible where jesus is like well this generation won't pass until all these things be fulfilled statements from jesus that you know there's some standing here who won't taste of death until they see the son of man coming into his kingdom there was like this kind of it was going to happen soon was the idea i was getting from the new testament and so, you know, I kind of adapted a, an orthodox preterist understanding of eschatology. Tithing, tithing fell through, like when I studied that issue out. Um, but like tithing, first of all, probably wasn't about money, right? We, it's about plants and like vegetation, livestock, things like that. But we don't actually have tithing on money. And then also, if you're going to make these arguments that like you can eat bacon because you're not under the law, then you can't have tithing because that's another thing that's under the law. So there was like so many inconsistencies with these things. Um, a big one, another one was uh, once saved, always saved is that uh, I had to write this paper for this one class. It was an extra credit assignment, actually. Uh, you had a question? Oh, I don't have a question. I just want to say we're about ready to go into some hot waters here. Because I recently, even in my own network of podcasts, got a solid debate about once saved, always saved. Now, the other thing is real quick, guys, uh, uh, and David, you might appreciate this when the episode finally drops. I am putting together a very long and very well thought out and very strongly researched while at the same time trying to give the bird's eye view uh, about music. I want to give the mu a musical breakdown, but it's going to be really, really hard uh, to take this monster and then bring it in so all of you guys stay tuned for that so yes but once saved always saved you had to write a paper i would love for you to talk about this because you and i both agree on this all right yeah i, I actually this was my hermeneutics class i really liked my professor in this class as well because again when i had private discussions with him he was a lot more honest about some of this stuff than some of my professors were um <laughs> it was funny he told me his whole reason for holding the king james onlyism this is kind of a side note but his whole reason for holding the king james onlyism was that he thought that people would have um doubts if like if you tried to like um if you tried to believe like so i told him like he asked me why do you believe the bible right and i kind of gave like my sort of historical apologetic right like here's why i believe it. he's like it's like well that's because you're smarter than most people but most people they, they can't do that so we have to like stick with this king james onlyism because if we use the sort of approach that you're using basically most people are too dumb for the historical apologetic approach and like that was that was a telling conversation but anyway, because he was honest like that the one thing i appreciate about him is that at least he was telling me it's a real reason for holding the King James onlyism had nothing to do with the textual evidence. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah, uh, in his class, there was this extra credit assignment. I didn't really have to do it, but it was on the top. It was the, the section of scripture you had to uh, do an exegesis of was Hebrews 6, 1 through 6. And um, he said in there, that, you know you don't have to he's like he said he said he's not going to grade you based on the conclusion that you reach he wants to see if you're using the principles he taught you in the class so i didn't feel pressure here because again i knew the professor i liked him he had been true to his word so i didn't like think he was going to fail me if i came up with an interpretation he didn't like uh and i still held the once saved always saved myself at this point 
But Joseph had recently abandoned his Calvinism and he had swung like a pendulum to the other side. Like he was considering open theism and all kinds of stuff. And he was coming up with the belief you could lose your salvation. He's like, well, what about Hebrews 6, 1 through 6, right? And uh, especially verses 4 through 6, for those who maybe aren't familiar with that passage of scripture, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 is probably one of the most famous passages that people who believe that you can lose your salvation, well, they will go to that passage. So I got out the commentaries and, you know, I started doing research on it. Uh, and there was this one book I got. It was a four views book, four views on the warning passages in Hebrews. And as I went through it, I was like reading people who believed in eternal security. I was like, is this really like, this isn't convincing at all. Um, and as I would read the people who are like um, saying that, you know, you could lose your salvation. They weren't like just saying, oh, that's what it clearly says. Then they're like, comparing it how does the author use these words elsewhere well obviously these people are saved if he's using the words consistently right what does the falling away talk about well like it's saying it's impossible to renew them again to repentance so you fall away from repentance and repentance is the condition for salvation right so uh that's kind of where the once saved always saved i didn't i would i didn't give it or i didn't i didn't let the belief go like immediately after that but I did write the paper and I did conclude that the passage was teaching that you could lose your salvation, even though I wasn't 100% convinced that you could at the point at that point. Uh, and I got a good grade on the paper too. So, um, uh, you know, so I, I appreciated that my professor did that. Yeah, he was true to his word. He was. And so that's uh, one thing I appreciated about him. But yeah, so I kind of just had like one belief after another could not stand up to scrutiny. And then I started seeing other things, right? It's not even about the beliefs, but just um, I started noticing that like things I hadn't noticed before. Uh, so like there was this incredible favoritism being given to like kids from the churches that gave a lot of money to the school. These kids would, you know, get to go on the singing groups. Like for example, on one of the singing groups, we had this one guy, freshman, first, first semester freshmen weren't supposed to be on the singing groups. But this guy was the son of one of the big name pastors, and I, I think they gave a lot of money to the school, and so yeah, they let him go on the on one of the singing groups, and so it was just you know kind of stuff like that, right? Like uh, people who were like um, kids from the the churches that gave a lot of money, they got to be like the the RAs, right, in all of the dorms and stuff, and so there was just like it started looking a lot like kind of corruption, like kind of giving favors out, not necessarily to people who deserved them, but just because, hey, our school is getting money from these people, so we better treat the kids from those churches right. And so I started noticing that. And then they also have like these, um, these big like offering um, kind of events, right? Uh, I think it's in May every month where they, they, they try to raise all this money. Uh, and so like all the pastors come on, they throw like this huge, you know, uh, preachers meeting where you've got like, oh my goodness, you probably got like six to eight hours of preaching a day there. I mean, cause you got like morning services and night services. I don't know how many sermons you've got at each service and like each one is three hours long. So, I mean, uh, yeah. And, um, honestly I liked it when I was younger, right? Like it was exciting. Cause I would, I would travel, uh, all the way from New York right out to Oklahoma. So it was a big trip. And, you know, I got to see like this, oh, like, look, there's so many other Baptists who agree with us. And, uh, you know, there was, there was good food and stuff. So, I mean, as a kid, I kind of liked it. But, you know, I started like seeing like they would have like this big um, 
like uh, screen up with like how much money they were raising and like everyone would stand up right and like say like oh i'm gonna like give 1000 oh i'm gonna give 500 and uh i kind of like i was remembering like this one passage of scripture where it's like let your alms giving be in secret and here we are having this big conference where everyone stands up and very publicly says it and then it goes up on this screen how who who gave how much money and uh, see, the whole thing seemed incredibly unbiblical and pretentious to me. And another kind of related point is that in an in effort to get more students to come, they would have this event, I think they call it college days. And the week before they had all the students basically like just slaving to clean the dorms off, right? Like we would do this deep clean. And um, it was obviously I the only reason they were having us do days. it right then. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. I just right? wanted to put that out there. I hated college days. Continue. I, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, so like we would have to get the whole thing clean. Like you basically could have called it just just hell week because I mean that's pretty much what it was. It's like you were cleaning. Um, <laughs> well, in fact, the people who worked like the really late hours. They were the fortunate ones because they didn't like if you were working then you didn't have to clean the dorm but like if you weren't working that you had to be at work at the dorm uh oh, i at one point were like just kind of not related but like i just remember like i had this big thing of bleach and like uh i think i i put it into like a sink or something like some of it kind of like splashed out and like got on my face and burned me so you know it just it wasn't fun but anyway uh, oh yeah and like uh then they had like this whole dorm inspection where they like woke you up at like five, six in the morning so that they could inspect your dorm. I mean, you don't get enough sleep at this place as it is, right? And then like on the Saturday, your one day you can sleep in, that's when they decided to do it and, you know, wake you up. And sorry, these are just pet peeves. But the, the main issue was that all of this was done the week before they were going to have all these prospective students come in and stay in the dorms. And they were gonna put on this like banquet for them and this big show and make it look like Heartland is all fun and games and it's clean. And the food was always a lot better. That right? Was <laughs> it always was. It drove me crazy. I'm like, wait, wait. <clears throat> Sorry, apparently I ate a frog before the interview. Um, but <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, we bust, we never have white uh, table covers. We. We never do half the things. The food's amazing. I slaved all week long. And the irony, then here's and here's where they get you. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. So I'm paying you tuition, but I am the college slave yeah. the week before. So I'm working for you, but I'm paying you to work for you. So, so that you can get more money from these other poor guys so that you cannot let them know what they're really getting into. Yeah, but remember, serve the Lord. And that was always the way that they basked in like vague spiritual yeah. language. So that mm -hmm. way you wouldn't feel like it was a disservice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. So, I mean, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so uh, that just seemed like so is hypocritical in one sense and yes you feel used and used to further their agenda so that they can effectively be you know, not giving people like a genuine, like they said, oh, well, we're just trying to put our best foot forward. But I mean, I felt more like you're giving them, trying to make it look better than it is so that you can get them to come in and get money. And that's that's how it looked to me. If someone wants to say, oh, we're just putting our best foot forward. I mean, okay, but um, that was how it felt to me. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I which is things like this, I began noticing. 
And uh, oh, and there was this one chapel, sir. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> so this one sermon that was preached, it was preached at the beginning of um, the semester. It's probably the beginning of my second year. So first semester, my second year. Uh, it opened it up and the, the basically, the, the, if I could like put it in, uh, the, the theme of the sermon was basically don't study other points of view. Don't study what people who disagree with us have to say. And here, this is the this is what the this is the term that the preacher coined for doing that. He called it doctrinal pornography. He said, if you look at, if you read the writings of someone who's not an independent fundamental Baptist, someone who doesn't disagree with us, you are being unfaithful to God, just like you're being just like just like looking at pornography would be being unfaithful to your spouse. He he straight up he straight <laughs> I can't up it anymore. No, let, let it out, Will. It's all right. What? I'm going to try not to bust out. Doctrinal pornography. That's what he called it. He called studying other points of view, studying people who aren't like reading, just reading the writings of people who don't agree with the independent fundamental Baptists. That's being unfaithful to God. It is just as sinful as looking at pornography. That was that was his sermon. I feel like a valley girl right now because I'm like, I can't even. I just can't even. <laughs> I'll say that, that, yeah. And so, like, when I heard that sermon, I was like, okay, I'm not on the same page with these people. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so then, kind of after that, um, when kind of just like towards the end of my time there, um, they threw Joseph out and, uh, I was really upset about uh, kind of how they did that because the way they did that was basically, I mean, I won't go into details, but they basically dug into his past and found something that they didn't, something that would give him an excuse to essentially throw him out, something from like years ago. And they were just looking for an excuse at this point to get rid of him because they didn't, he didn't agree with them. And like, I knew that's what it was about. It was that he didn't agree with them, but kind of the, underhanded way in which they kind of went about that um that really did bother me and continues to bother me uh and that should have been my red flag that they were also looking for an excuse to get rid of me but i didn't see it coming and so one day this kind of everything came to a head i didn't see it coming at all and you know i should have like, there were warning signs but i didn't <clears throat> uh i was in class and just uh a knock comes on the door and one of the, the deans comes and he just pulls me straight out in the middle of class, right? And I don't know what's going on. So anyway, I followed him and we kind of like went deep into kind of like this place where all like the, the big shots hung out. And um, I'd never been back here before. <laughs> and we were in this kind of private office and I kind of started figuring out what's going on when when I got in there, because all all the big shots from the college, they're all in here. And, um, but none of them are doing the talking, right? It's just the vice president and me. And it was pretty evident from the start that this wasn't gonna be a conversation. Um, there wasn't really any interest in kind of my perspective being heard, it wasn't, wasn't like that. Uh, I was gonna be told the situation, what it was and kind of what had been decided. And so one of my most vivid memories from that is that the vice president, he gets like right up in my face. I mean, probably like two inches away from my face. Uh, suffice to say, close, too close for comfort. 
and so he informs me that it's been determined that I have serious attitude problems, right? I'm not, I'm not receiving what I've been taught. Now, mind you, I was kind of a, a model student there, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's a brag, but um, I mean, I consistently had A or A plus grades. Uh, this particular school, if you break the rules, they will give you what's known as disciplinary hours, right? That's kind of these hours that you had to either work or pay off for breaking this ridiculous list of rules that they had. And uh, so, you know, uh, I, I had never gotten any hours like that. I just, I, I hadn't because I didn't break the rules. And what's more than that is I didn't just not break them when people weren't around. I didn't break them in private either. And like a lot of my roommates, who are like on the singing groups and stuff, right? And I mean, to be on the singing groups, you've got to be like a really good student. I knew that they would like watch movies and stuff, like either in theaters or um, like in the dorm. And this is stuff that was not allowed, right? I mean, again, I, I think it should have been, but that these are like actual violations of the rules. I didn't do that. And yet I'm being told that I'm the one with, you know, the attitude problems and that, you know, I need to be uh, disciplined over this. And so, um, and it's really, I think it's just, I was overall, I was a good student. And I just, I disagreed with them. And it was on like the basis of evidence too. Like this is a college, right? Like I was trying to like study, follow the evidence. And so like, I'm coming to some different conclusions from you. Uh, instead, you know, I'm being told that, you know, I'm rebellious. I have a bad attitude and um, oh yeah. And I was also placed on probation. I was restricted to campus. And uh, I was told that I was going to have to be in my dorm early every night, right? So basically all my privileges as a student, those got taken away. And so I was just kind of shocked at that. Um, and there were just like so many emotions going through me right then. Like I was, I was kind of scared because they were threatening to like throw me out on the spot. Um, I was kind of enraged because this felt like very unjust to me. Uh, and... I was also, you know, it, like I wasn't even doing anything wrong from my perspective. Like I'm just trying to believe what's true and like I'm being blamed for that. And I was also just kind of surprised at seeing a side of these men that I had never seen before because they were completely different behind closed doors than they were up in front of everyone else. Pretty right? standard IFB issue. Unfortunately, but it's something I just was not aware of. Like I was seeing people, some of whom like I had respected since I was a little child, uh, you know, going to these sorts of meetings, seeing them up in public, you know, the people who I was told, oh, these are like, these are the heroes of the faith. These are the people you want to be like. And I'm seeing these people, uh, you know, just acting completely different from like everything that I had kind of thought that they were. Uh, and I was also just feeling really disgusted with the underhandedness of the whole thing. Uh, like if they'd just been honest and said, we don't want you here because you disagree with us, like that'd be stupid, but I'd be okay with that. <laughs> you know, that would have been fine with me. And I knew that was the reason, but no, instead they like, have to make up all of these like moral failings on my part, just so they can have an excuse to like treat me like that. And uh, so now about halfway through that meeting, there was kind of this olive branch extended. Uh, I was told that I could finish out the semester because they respected my father, uh, you know, just on the condition that I didn't screw up for the rest of the semester. And uh, I would also, they said, hey, you can re even return next semester, but you have to submit to having weekly meetings with your father over the summer to fix your attitude problems. And if at the end of that time, he determines that your attitude problems have been uh, corrected, then we'll let you back in next semester. 
Uh, and so I, <laughs> I, I said, no, I said, I wasn't going to take medication for a condition that I didn't have. And that made the vice president mad to say the least. Did you say that <laughs> verbatim? Uh, it pretty much, it was like either I'm not going to take therapy for a condition I don't have, or I'm not going to take medication for a disease I don't have. It was something along those lines. Man, that's amazing. That's a great line. <laughs> well, he didn't like it. Apparently he, he didn't think it was a great line. Uh, and so he, I think like he had to hear, like he'd already said that like, you can stay the rest of the semester if you don't screw up. I think his opinion changed after that because he, I felt to me like he was then just trying to like basically grill me to get me to say something that would give him an excuse to throw me out. He's like, so, uh, okay. So like, so what are you going to do differently from this point on? And, you know, I kind of knew that I was going to have to choose my words carefully after what I had just said and what I thought he was trying to do. Uh, and so like whatever answer I would give, he would like, uh, like, for example, once I was like, I was like, um, so you probably don't want me arguing with other students. He's like, oh, I didn't say probably. Try it again. What are you going to do differently? You know, and um, I felt like he was being very nasty. And I just it felt like he was trying to have an excuse to get me out. Uh, fortunately, like we had a call right then in the you know, chapel was about to start. And so we all had to go for that. Um, <laughs> I think it almost worked there because I really felt my temper like starting to rise when he started acting like that towards me. Uh, and then even later though, uh, later on that semester, one of the professors who had been at that meeting uh, and one who I kind of had butted head to us before, he even called me into his office and it was like, it was the same thing. Like he was trying to get a reaction out of me that would give him an excuse to throw me out. So I mean, they might've been looking to make an example out of me. I'm not sure, but anyway, it just, it felt very underhanded to me. And so, um, yeah. Um, but anyway, so kind of back, back to like the, this point where uh, they had extended the olive branch, right? When I was told that I could kind of come back on the condition that I submit to them, or in other words, change my views and blindly follow whatever I was taught. In that moment, kind of one thing just became crystal clear to me. I could not be a follower of the truth and remain in the IFB. To stay, to stay in, I'd have to sacrifice what I loved the most. And uh, that's what really made, you know, that's when I had to make the decision. I could no longer consider myself to be a part of this movement and continue to follow Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. I couldn't worship him in spirit and in truth and continue to be a part of this movement. Like they were essentially like, I, I would have, I mean, I don't know if I would still be in or not if I, like if they could have worked with me because I tried to stay in as much as I could, but they made it very clear that like, you cannot be interested in the truth and be a part of this. And so, you know, very much the moral of my story is, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, right? Because, um, you know, that's what I, that's what I left at that point. I mean, mentally, I finished out the semester there, but um, that's kind of where, where the decision was made on my part that like, yeah, I can't, if I'm interested in the truth, I can't be part of the IFB. You know, I, similar experience, I had uh, a multiple, I'm actually known for this, uh, and people to this day at Crown College, my name is still brought up behind closed doors. I found that on pretty good authority very recently by someone who's related to a high-end faculty member. Uh, 
And because we would have showdowns, I'd be called into the office. And again, I'm not like over there running around breaking every rule. I was taking 22 credit hours and working like full time. I, I didn't even have time to consider breaking all the rules. But then as I kept getting accused of it, just for merely questioning and for studying and questioning some more, uh, then what ended up happening though is instead, as I hit, I, I hit a, a screw it point, and it was like, fine, I, I'm breaking all the rules apparently. So uh, time to break some rules. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that's when I, uh, I started dating my wife and I started dating her off campus, just her and me, no chaperone. And, it was, and you know, the IFB, that's spicy. Like if you're out on a one-on-one yeah. -on -one date, you are definitely having sex. Like if you're at Starbucks, it was just you guys sitting at a table, you guys are totally doing it. And <laughs> apparently that's the that, logic. Exactly. And uh, so I ended up getting called in. He did the whole yelling, screaming. And if you know anything about my house that I grew up in, I grew up in a very, very messed up house. So I just found, I find screaming and bombastic speech amusing. And it didn't help any that this man had a lisp. I mean, he's huge. I mean, large, overweight, and he had a lisp. And I couldn't, I was over there just like, keep it in man keep it in <laughs> really trying you know and uh i did end up telling him uh um you know i i just told him i was like you know dude i i was like you can keep yelling at me like i'm a child or we can sit down and actually talk like men i was like because i'm not gonna sit here and be berated and then he just like fine mr heth and they sat down and just like let's have let's talk i'm like that's better now that we're being adults what's your problem and it was hilarious so um oh my goodness yeah and then there's one time he, <laughs> he said something against me at one point like it was wrong and i just grabbed my the bible put it on his desk and i slid across like can you show me a chapter and a verse and uh of course you can't with half their standards and rules and it was just yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, the administration, we just agree that this, I'm like, I'm not asking what the administration's views are. I'm asking, is it in here? Because I'm just trying to follow and seek truth. So I just find that really funny because as you're, you're telling me that I'm getting like PTSD flashbacks, man. <laughs> so, uh, so they, they you got, deal with troublemakers the same way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's pretty standard across the board on that. And so you then you left the IFB, you went home and, uh, you know, your family's still in the IFB though, correct? Is that, is that my understanding? Yeah. Immediate family. Um, my, my extended family is not, which I'm grateful for, but, um, yeah, my immediate family is. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's probably, that makes things pretty interesting. I'm sure, uh, from, from time to time, especially as a, an annihilationist preterist, I just, oh my goodness. Uh, I'll pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> I need it. <laughs> so I, I still, I, I find annihilationism fascinating. Um, it's one of those things where I, I always, I just always go back and forth and flirt around with because it's like, oh, that's a good point. And then I'm like, oh, but then this, then I'm like, ah, oh, that's a good point too. And honestly, I probably just haven't dedicated enough time to make a full decision on it while studying. So I've focused my time on so many other topics currently. And it's one of my shelf topics. I just I have a shelf of topics. I'm sure we all have a shelf of topics that we're digging, want to dig into. And that's or our correction is is we should have one. Like IFB, yes. that's that's one thing I didn't was foreign to me in the IFB was like you have like this theology, like you could just read the Bible and get your theology from it. Uh, no, theology is a lifetime pursuit, and I mean I know I'm never going to get it down, but I mean I'm dedicated to the journey, uh, and it's not this simplistic. Um, 
you can have it all figured out easily and <laughs> you can dedicate your life to just, you know, doggedly preaching and defending it. Um, reality is more complicated than that. Right, exactly. So, well, David, I, re I really appreciate that. Um, is there anything real quick you want to add to your story before we wrap up this episode? I think I hit all the high points, but yeah, thanks for um, letting me on. Huh? Awesome. <laughs> this is the first now, time I've told the whole thing. Yes, I'm actually really excited. I'm glad we were able to do it because, you know, as being part of that RFP network, we deal with both the IFB and then theology and then church, uh, church uh, stuff. And, you know, I want to get into apologetics, but it's, it's funny because I just felt like God kind of pulled me over here the more and more I, I got into this. And it was like, you know, there's a lot of great apologetic channels out there, but there's not many that are shining the, the limelight on what is going on with these other crazy groups and what it does to people and proper theology and how to respond to somebody's extreme positions. So I was like, you know, maybe, maybe that's my home for a while. That's okay been there, done that. I, I nuked that a long time ago, so I could talk to this forever. So uh, anyway, um, so I ask this to everybody, um, and now this, it'll be different because you're actually going to be the first guest I think I've ever had back-to-back -back episodes with. Um, so it just it, there's things you can bring to the table uh, in different categories, so I, I, I'm enjoying that. I ask this to every guest, and I'll ask you at this at the end of next episode as well but just on a different view. Uh, for, so the next one will be epistemology focused. This question, it will be uh, your story related. Uh, since the church split is about splitting from tradition or that, that things that could cause church splits or things that cause division or people who have to leave certain like cultish groups and split from their church, you know, that's the whole point of it. The whole real point of the channel though is to unite people, right? Unite people under the fundamentals and, and then allow diversity of thought. And I give my own views on things all the time, and I welcome people to challenge them. So my thought with you is through sharing your story, and obviously you and I both have a similar opinion of the IFB, if there's, a, for lack of a better term, which is, is it's not good, it's, it's bad, and it needs to stop, it needs to go away. <laughs> it's very <Yeah>. harmful. <laughs> so, but what do you think that, how do you think that your story and what you went through can help unite the divided body as is? So what I think is really the problem with the IFB, of course, but really with what I want to label as fundamentalism or neo-fundamentalism is that they're, the, the key problem that goes wrong with it is that they don't acknowledge a distinction between essential and non-essential doctrines. <clears throat> and uh, this is kind of the problem. If you don't have that distinction in place, then kind of this extremism that views everyone who disagrees with us as, you know, just wrong and in denial of the Bible, that becomes inevitable because now it, there's no such a thing as a non-essential doctrine. So now everything's an essential doctrine. And so if you disagree in any point, then you're effectively in denial of the Bible, right? And of course, we also realize there's a distinction between standards and doctrines. But uh, so I would say really the important thing is to realize that there is there's the core stuff. There's the Trinity. There's the deity of Christ. There's the inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible, right? And, you know, you're going to maybe have lesser things that are important, but maybe not core doctrines, like maybe maybe your position on your soteriology or something like that. And you're going to have issues like eschatology, which is like, have an opinion there by all means, but like 
don't say that anyone who disagrees with you is a heretic, please, because like nobody agrees on eschatology. Uh, I would think that's probably a really important thing to help unite people. We need to unite on those essential doctrines. And yes, like if people are departing from that, if someone's denying the deity of Christ, yes, we realize that that person is a heretic, but we don't have to be that way about everything. We can allow some love and some liberty about things that are not like core to the faith that are not, um, you know, necessary for salvation and such. And the problem is without that distinction is the sort of um, fundamentalism that we deal with. There's a kind of inner logic to it that their way of looking at things, it follows if you reject that distinction. And so I think that's really, uh, in some ways, the main point of our dispute with them. And so that's why we've got to continue to uphold and defend that. And then if people see that, hopefully unity around the essentials will be, um, will be, you know, encouraged. Right. Which is actually to that point, I think uh, with the essential and non-essential, I think because the fundamentalism fundamentalists are so bombastic, I've noticed in many conversations with atheists, they quote what many of the loud people say. So like, well, if you believe this, and I'm like, I never, that's not a mainstream Christian view. That's an extreme fundamentalist view. And so because they are so bombastic on the non-essentials and they say such extreme things on these uh, tertiary issues, it makes the rest of Christianity kind of look bad. So we have to keep speaking to it. We have to keep saying, no, 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 we, we, that's not all of us. And that's not the majority of us. That's a very, those are like those weird cousins at the family reunion that you're like, yeah, they're part of the family, but we don't really like to talk to them all the time because they're a little weird. We love them though, but they're, they just have, you know, they're a little straight. Also, Steven Anderson is not a legitimate source. Want to throw that out there. I got that off my chest. I feel good. Okay. <laughs> All right. So David, thank you so much for making that distinction. I totally agree with you. And guys, if you haven't go to faith because of reason, have you broke over a thousand subs yet? I think you did I have not. I'm close. Oh, okay. All right. So we def we, we are, if even half of our subscribers did that, he'd be well over it and well, and like into the two thousands. So let's get them there. Let's push them to that. So guys do that. Also, are you, do you, is faith because of reason available on audio or is it just YouTube? At the moment, it's just YouTube, um, but I, I, I'm actually discovering it would be really easy to turn my kind of narrations into audio files. So um, I may I may do that as well eventually. Okay, cool. And so guys, please go check that out. And honestly, you probably want to watch it anyway, because he has so many, first off, your presentations are, you got all the cool like philosophy graphics. And I just kind of, I'm a, I'm like, I have a, an ape brain half the time. So I'm just like, ooh, it's pretty and it moves. So I'm very easily entertained. Uh, but also he, 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 you have all your stuff sourced, all the quotes up there. It's actually really impressive. And it kind of makes me go, okay, I need to step up my game a little bit on, on, on making sure I'm sourcing my stuff properly on the channel. But at the same time, um, it takes a lot of work. So I just reference it briefly while you speak past it and call it a day. <laughs> like, and uh, Dr. Copan said this anyway, and then I just move forward. But anyway, thank you uh, so much for David Paulman. And guys, don't forget to like and subscribe to The Church Split and stay tuned for part two, where we get to talk about philosophy and the nature of knowledge.